Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm. Today is Wednesday, May the 8th, 2019. And I have in the studio with me Thaddeus Romanski. Uh, Good morning, Gene. Good morning. It is a good morning. Uh, Weather is still a little bit gray here. I don't know what it is in the rest of our people who are listening, but the weather's a little gray. We've had uh, five to seven inches of rain in the last week or so here in the Bryan College Station area. Yes, we have. And the weather is dry enough. Those of you who uh, know that we are in the St. Mary's Catholic Center in College Station uh, and have been watching the building project at the JP2 Center, they are actually laying bricks today. Hey, exciting. That is exciting because it's been a long time. The weather has really uh, delayed a lot of work on that. If I can jump in, I want to say thanks to all of our Waco listeners who laid some serious bricks a few weeks ago for the foundation of that radio station up in in um, Waco, KYAR, all of y'all listeners, thank you for your contributions. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, Tom Peterson had a great time at that event. We raised some serious money. Really, really appreciate it. Dina Dwyer Owens did a wonderful job and... Um, just couldn't be happier with the uh, results that we had at our Waco Benefit Dinner. And we can also tell our KEDC listeners to start blocking out that time. November 7th is when we're going to have our KEDC Benefit Dinner here in Bryan College Station at St. Thomas Aquinas. We'll have the keynote speaker announced that is in it. the coming weeks. Uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas has another construction project going on that's been going on for several months, and mm. hopefully it's going to be finished by that time. Mm. And then I don't want to forget about our loyal listeners there in Palestine, Texas, on KINF 107.9. Thank you all right. for listening. And while we're talking about our, our listeners in, in areas that aren't where we are immediately, I would really invite them to send us information on people they think they would like us to interview, because I, I'm always looking for somebody unique to interview, and uh, I know that uh, there in in Palestine and in the Waco area, there are a lot of very interesting people. Uh, I've interviewed some, but I don't know the area well enough to round them all up myself. So if you've got somebody, let us know. Our Waco listeners, our KYAR Central Texas listeners, email Stephanie at RedSeaRadio.org. Stephanie at RedSeaRadio.org. That is your station director, Stephanie Lee's direct email address. She reads that email every single day. And if you have a guest that you'd like to put on the air with Gene Wilhelm, send her an email, let her know, get her in touch, and we'll get Gene hooked up with that person and and uh, you can get them al- on the air. I, you can also send it to me, Gene at RedSeaRadio.org. So. In- indeed. So either way, 
I've got a Saint of the Day, and this one is uh, this is the first one that came up at the Saint of the Day Catholic dot org Saint of the Day website, and it's Saint Peter of Terratan. Tarantasi, I guess I can't pronounce it. So uh, my tongue. We apologies for any time we mispronounce something on this show. Well, I do a pretty good job of that. But uh, uh, and I chose him uh, mainly because he's a sister was a Cistercian monk. Okay. And our we had two sons that went to Cistercian prep school in Irving, Texas. And those of you that don't know about the Cistercians, there are two branches of Cistercians. There are the ones that just the regular Cistercians, and then there's the Cistercians of the strict observance. And that's a little difficult mouthful to say. And most people know them as the Trappists. Now, the Cistercians Mm. themselves were formed because uh, some Benedictines thought that the Benedictines had gotten a little loose. So uh, you can uh, – and so he was a Cistercian, and he was born uh, in in France, and he was made archbishop of an area that sounds Th- like – I'm sorry. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk, he correct? Was a, he was a Trappist monk, okay. yes. Okay. And uh, the father uh, – yeah. So anyway, he was born somewhere in Italy and – uh, in France, and he was made archbishop of an area that sounds like it was right kind of on the border between Switzerland and Italy. Okay. And uh, he— What time period are we talking here? Uh, let me look here if I can find that. In 1142, so he was pretty pretty early, mm-hmm. Cistercian. Uh, and he was—he uh, he, uh, he joined the Cistercians age 20 uh, with his brothers and fathers— Father, not fathers, he only had one. At the age of 30, he was made an abbot, and then he was made the archbishop. And he did that for a number of years. He did it in obedience rather than because he wanted to do it. And then he found an opportunity to disappear for a few years, and then they found him and brought him back and made him archbishop again. I see. So anyway, that's the saint of the day. And if you go to catholic.org and ask for the saint of the day, you can find out more information about St. Peter. And he's not the other Peter with the same name who was Innocent the – I think it's Innocent the Fifth. So So St. Peter Taranci, pray for us. And that's very appropriate to have a little saint of the day because our guest in the second part of the show is going to be uh, talking to us about a saint – in the making. In the making. Yeah. And the other thing about St. Uh, Peter is that he mediated a dispute between King Louis VII of France and King Henry II of England. So, so he was dealing with some real egos there. Uh, I would think so. And and sh- shining the light of, of the church's truth into those domestic disputes or royal disputes. Yes. Well, before we move into telling about some things going on in the uh, in the area, local events, give us a little preview of what's coming up in the second part of the show. Well, the reason I know about this, the uh, the guest in the second part of the show, I went to a high school named for, for Chaplain Emil Capon. At that time, it was named Capon, so it's, there's two pronunciations of the name. And uh, he was a, a priest of the Diocese of Wichita, Kansas, and he— died in a communist concentration or prison camp of uh, just a few miles from the Chinese border in North Korea. Mm-hmm. And he, his story is really remarkable at, at what he did for the, uh, the prisoners that he went with. Uh, and, and my guest is Scott Carter, who is on the staff at the Diocese of Wichita. And he, is, he and Father John, I believe it's John Hotsey, uh, are uh, promoters for the canonization of Father Capon. So uh, it's going to be an interesting story, and, and you can find out a lot about Father Capon 
uh, just by Googling him, or I will say, I'll, let me do it the other way, that you can do a web search and find that. And there are several materials that are available via Amazon uh, on Father Capone. K-A-P-A-U-N. Yes. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, Gene. And uh, he, he is the martyr, the Catholic priest martyr from the Korean War. And Father Vince Capadano is the Catholic priest martyr from the Vietnam War. Father Vince was a uh, was a Marine. Father Capon was a an Army man. And you've got some stuff you need to tell us about. Yeah, something else I'm looking forward to is our summer kickoff event coming up on June 1st here in Bryan. If you're not living in this area, but you want to bring your family down or you want to get a parish group together from a central Texas parish like those folks in West or St. Louis or St. Jerome's in Waco, come on down. We'd love to have you June 1st, Saturday, June 1st from 11 to 4 at Tiffany Park in Bryan. There'll be more information to come on the website. Um, All we really need to know is... If you can RSVP that you're coming, that would be great. You can RSVP to Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N, at redcradio.org, our wonderful admin coordinator, and she'll get you down. So we can have a rough idea of how many people, how many, uh, how much Chick-fil-A chicken we need for this event. Oh. There's going to be games. There's a splash pad there. It's going to be a BYOB event. We might have some kickball, some other outdoor fun and games. We're going to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet at three. And it's really just a, hey, let's all get together out in a, in a, an outdoor space and, and hang out together as uh, Catholic families and Catholic friends and neighbors. And we don't, nobody has to get dressed up like you would if you went to one of our dinners so they can mm-hmm. see how many heads Thaddeus and I actually have. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, they can see how skinny I am. Um, and how fat I am. Oh, well, we don't need to talk about that. But anyway, that's June 1st, Saturday, June 1st, summer kickoff, Red Sea Radio dot org slash kickoff you can get more information if it's if that web page is not published quite yet it will be very soon there are a couple of other events then in this area that, uh, that are about to happen aren't there there are indeed uh saint anthony's parish and brian's got their bazaar coming up may 19th 55th annual bazaar and homecoming on Tabor road that's their pavilion out there it starts at 11 and I'm going to interrupt you here. That is not at the church. It is at on Tabor Road at, right. 20, at 21, as I That's recall. Right. That's right, on Tabor Road and Highway 21. That's their pavilion and grounds there. There's a silent auction, a cake wheel, um, barbecue that's cooked by the men of St. Anthony's Parish. So that's May 19th, 11 a.m. Uh, just come out. Gene, anything else? Well, I don't know. Uh I would say welcome those folks out in anybody who's got an event that they'd like us to promote for you in your parish or something of that nature. If you will just contact us, and again, that could be to Caitlin, correct? Yes, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N, Caitlin at Red Sea Radio. And just tell what the event is so that we can get it on the air and probably do a spot for you if it's there, or we can mention it here on Red Sea Roundup when the time comes. And this just handed me, this just handed me 
That same day, May 19th in Waco is St. Mary's in Waco's Parish Festival. And there was a spot running on the radio there with more details. Um, I, I apologize. I don't have the details for that event right here in front of me. But May 19th in Waco is St. Mary's in Waco's Parish Festival. I'm sure that there's something in the St. Mary's Bulletin. And you can go, go to redsearoundup.org, indeed, look indeed. at the resources, and find the Bulletin for St. Mary's in Waco and find out more information about that. Yes, sir. Certainly. Do uh, you got anything else today, Thaddeus? I... I'm running pretty uh, pretty thin here on anything else. I think that um, I think we should maybe maybe move along to okay. the interview. Okay. What do you? What else do you have? Anything? Uh, the only thing I would say is that I have had several pre-recorded interviews. This is going to be a live interview, so if you hear something that you would like to talk about, uh, get further clarification on uh, when we come back from the break. Dial 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, that's 855-683-7332, and we'll try to get your question on the air. And in the meantime, let's take a break, and uh, we will try to get a hold, we will get a hold of Scott Carter, and we will be right back. All right. I've seen and given in, ends of the earth, you're the way you world on the shoulders, I can take scars and burdens. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I've got Thaddeus Romanski with me in the studio. Hey, Gene. And I have got Scott Carter on the phone. He's going to talk to us about Father Emil Capon, uh, who was a chaplain in the Army during the Korean War. Good morning, Scott. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great this morning. I hope the skies are brighter there than they are here, because it's pretty gray here. Uh, we've had a lot of storms over the past few days, so... Uh, some flooding in areas and everything. Thankfully, uh, not too many tornadoes or too much hail, but it's been a little crazy. Uh, there's often, I remember having grown up there, that there's a lot of crazy weather goes on there at this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm, you did not, There, I, I may tell our listeners that there are, I think there's still only two Catholic high schools in the Wichita area, and one of them was named for Father Capon. And the other one's named for Bishop Carroll, which is quite ironic. And you went to Bishop Carroll High School and rather than Capon. I did. So, yeah, there's uh, there's four uh, Catholic high schools in the diocese, but two of them are in Wichita. And uh, I, w- I went to Bishop Carroll High School, and Bishop Carroll was Father Capon's uh, bishop. But, uh, you know, over time, as things happen, you know, kind of a big rivalry uh, between the two schools on the two sides of town, uh, it came about, and so, you know, we really didn't like uh, Capon Mount Carmel High School at all. Um, ironically, it was a priest who had graduated from there who was our chaplain who, you know, told me about Father Capon. He had us read a book about him, uh, Shepherd in Combat Boots. Oh, yes. And even when I read it, I'm not entirely sure that I realized that, like, this is who the other school was named after, which was probably good. Um, at the time, but, you know, obviously fast forward and you, you come to realize, learn more about his life and, uh, you know, it was a fun rivalry, but, uh, really, uh, you know, two great schools in the end, but it is kind of ironic that both myself and then my boss, the, 
the priest who's in charge of his canonization process. We both went to Bishop Carroll, so kind of rival and rival schools. And that's Father John Hotze, is it? Hotze, correct, yes. yeah. yeah. So that's great. And and uh, if I remember correctly, when we were talking earlier, you, both you and Father Hotze from, are from out that part of town, too. Uh, yeah, we're a little bit different parts of town, but we're both from Wichita. I grew up here, so yeah, yeah it's a great place to grow up and, um, you know, family oriented and everything. So, so I'm, I'm going to remind our listeners again that if you are listening and you have a question or a comment you want to make, because this, I think this is going to be a very interesting t- uh, time we have together, dial 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, 855-683-7332. Scott, can you tell us a little bit about Father Capon's life, how, how he got where he – how did he end up in North Korea in, and in a concentrate in a, a prisoner of war camp? Because it started yeah. a lot earlier than that. It did. So he was born uh, roughly 100 years ago. It was uh, 1916. He, he grew up on a small farm uh, in a, a very small uh, farming community. It was mostly Czech uh, with some German as well. And so he learned to speak a little bit of German and more Czech. Uh, but as he was growing up, he, he really, in a lot of ways, was kind of like a lot of the other farmers. He was very simple. He was very humble. Uh, he did probably better in school than most of his classmates, and he would often help the teachers, you know, teach the other classes. I think there were two or three rooms in the schoolhouse, so it was very small. Um, and like I said, very normal in a lot of ways. One, I think, hint of his greatness is that you know he would always help out around the house and do chores. But apparently, he never complained about him. And so that's one way I know that, like right away, like <laughs> there's a sign of sainthood. Um, uh, yes, it is. Happily. I still complain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Same here. And so uh, you know, he grew up with it with a good sense of humor. Sometimes he would like to you know make little jokes uh, with other people, but you know, usually to make him laugh and not to not to do any harm. But uh, as he grew up, he I think wanted to dedicate his his life to serving others, and specifically, he initially wanted to be a missionary you know, to head over to places like China. Uh, he had read a magazine, the Columban Fathers, the Columban missionaries based out of Ireland, and that was kind of what he felt inclined to. But his parish priest said hey, we need priests here, especially priests who can speak Bohemian. And um, he offered to help pay for seminary because his, his family couldn't pay for the seminary. And so you know, Emil accepted and said, all right, this is where the Lord wants me. And he was ordained a priest uh, in 1940. And he served a few years actually at his home parish, which uh, he loved being a priest, but I think he found it somewhat difficult. I think most of the people liked him, but he kind of felt like, some of them, since they knew him when he was young, you know, it was a little hard to hard to reach him. Um, there was someone else was who experienced a, that in his hometown, right, Scott? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it, it was good, but he he started actually serving uh, some of the guys at a nearby Air Force base, uh, and really started to enjoy it. And when the bishop had said, hey, we need priests to do this. You know, he volunteered, and the bishop initially said, no, we want you in Pilsen, and then he just he kept bringing it up. And he said, you know, when I was ordained, I wanted to spend myself for God. 
uh, and no matter what circumstances I'm placed in or, you know, how hard a life I would lead, and I, you know, want to do that joyfully. And he said, right now, I just feel like I'm, you know, getting in the way. And I think he was probably exaggerating that. But um, regardless, the bishop said, all right, well, you know, we'll let you go into the army. And so this was in World War II. Uh, and he caught the tail end of it, but he was sent over to Burma and India, which is a very, you know, little-known theater of the war. There wasn't a whole lot of activity at that point, but he he definitely traveled around visiting the troops and traveling over the muddy mountain roads and everything, and I think got a reputation for being willing to go wherever the men were, uh, even if they were very far away. And um, when the war ended, he he was there kind of as a cleanup guy and got sent back home, and the bishop said, hey, we want you to go further studies, and he kind of indicated, like, I don't know, I haven't really been able to keep up with anything, but, you know, he was obedient and went, uh, and eventually, you know, came back and was assigned to another parish uh, here in Kansas, and was there only for six months, um, because he just insisted, he said, you know, the army, these guys need me, and that's where I feel called to be, mm-hmm. and uh, while I was in, <laughs> At the parish, it was kind of funny. He would, it was another small farming community, and he would, you know, go and visit the co-op and just talk to all the, all the people wherever they were. Um, you know, made a lot of, a huge impact in the short time that he was there. But the uh, owner of the bowling alley uh, was not Catholic, and he said, man, when he left, I was, I was kind of happy because he said if he was there much longer, the whole town would have been Catholic, and I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> I don't remember that story. <laughs> maybe this, maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit <clears throat> about some of the resources that are available on Father Capon. Uh, you mentioned a Shepherd in Combat Boots, which is basically out of print. It was print. It was uh, written maybe fifteen, twenty years ago, I guess. I don't. Yeah. Remember. And that so was by have... somebody that was in the the wasn't that somebody that was in the prison camp with him? No, that was. Um... Uh, by a guy who had been in the military, actually, okay. and just I, I, heard about his story and, and loved it. Mm-hmm. So. And, and then the other one is uh, the, well, I don't know what it's called, but it was, it originally appeared as, I think, a 10-part series in the Wichita newspaper. Uh, yeah, so that's it, called The Miracle of Father Capon, and it was written by um, one of the, the journalists, a couple of the journalists here, the Wichita Eagle. Uh, but then there's actually another book, too, called The Story of Chaplain Capon that was written uh, in 1954, actually, so just a year after they, they learned about his death in the prison camp um, by a, a local priest. And it provides a lot of good insight on you know, his personality and uh, and everything as well. So, yeah, there's actually three books written about him, and yeah. we have them. Um, all of them are available through through our website, Father uh, FatherCapon.org. Repeat that again. Father K-A-P-A-U-N. Repeat that one more time. Is that F-R? FatherCapon.org. Either way, F-R or you can spell out Father. And that's K-A-P-A-U-N. I know they're available on, on Amazon.com. The, one, the last one that you mentioned, the story of Father uh, of Chaplain Capon, uh, is available. And it's rather expensive on Amazon because I guess it's limited. It's like almost $30. And I don't. Oh, know. gotcha. Yeah, we've got it for twenty, I think. So. Yeah, so. And then there's there also, like I say, there's there, there's also uh, I mentioned to you before we started in 1955 there was a program or in the late mid 50s there was a program called Crossroads, uh, which was on network television, which had a half hour each week on some ca- priest 
doctor, minister, or rabbi that had an amazing story, and he was on there in 1955. And if you if you do a web search for Crossroads uh, Emil Capon, you will find uh, that it's uh, by today's standards the production is a little cheesy, but it gives you a basic outline of what happened in the prisoner of war camp. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I, I understand also, I seem to recall that uh, Father Capon went to seminary at Conception in St. Louis and uh, was kind of a trickster when he was there. I mean, you talked about a sense of humor. So. Yeah, he went to uh, Conception in Missouri and then uh, Kenrick in St. Louis, both of them. So, yeah, um, I know one time, I think when he was back in Pilsen, he... Um, he somehow wired up the car to provide just a little bit of a shock to the driver of the car. <laughs> it was, yeah. I think, a classmate of his or something, and you know, nobody was hurt. He knew that wouldn't happen, but he was just watching and grinning. <laughs> Another thing that's interesting about his humility, and in one of the, one of the books about Father Capon, I seem to recall that he took the job of maintaining the grounds for the for uh, the church there in Pilsen uh, while he was there. Uh, and he was actually served under the the Monsignor uh, who had paid for his seminary and was yeah doing... Monsignor Sklenar, his his priest and yeah he would uh, yeah do whatever it took and he loved uh, manual labor uh, he would you know mow the lawn and every time he apparently you know, Monsignor Sklenar said a priest always has to be in his clerics even if you're painting the school or mowing the lawn and. So, you know, Father Capon said, all right, that's the way it is. And he would be wearing his clerics and mowing the lawn. And every time he passed by where the tabernacle was, he would remove his remove his cap. <laughs> um, another, And a lot of the other guys, too, they said that, yeah, when we were working with him, we were just so glad when, you know, he got a phone call and had to go inside because it gave us a chance to take a break. And we never, he would always just work so much harder than all of us. And I think, you know, it wasn't. He wasn't trying to show anybody up. That was just his personality. But that's the sort of thing that really you know, won the hearts of the men that he served uh, in the army, and then especially you know in the prison camp too. Um, when he was, you went back into the army. He served actually at Fort Bliss, Texas, for a year, and um, served with the anti-aircraft um, division down there, and. Uh, yeah, did did some good work, but really he was sent over to Japan and that with the first cavalry division. And when the war broke out in Korea, they were some of the first units to be shipped over. And I think it was probably about three weeks after the war started that they were there. Uh, but you know, he would just he, the chaplains were told, obviously, hey, if you hang out around the battalion aid station. Um, around headquarters, you say masses for the guys when things are quiet, you know, that's your duty. But he just insisted, like, I, I want to be up there where the men are. That's where they need me. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, when they need me. And so he would go around sometimes just after the battles to check on, on the men, and he would just offer a handshake and a warm hello and where are you from um, and just see how they were doing. Um, but he also, you know, during the battles a lot of times would, would go out and, and risk the bullets himself to uh, just to be with him. Uh, he would bring apples and some water. Um, he would offer to say a prayer with them. And, you know, obviously if they were wounded or, or hurt, he would drag them back uh, sometimes to to the battalion aid station, to the medics, uh, would pray over guys. 
uh, early on in the war, he actually was awarded the Bronze Star for uh, rescuing a guy who was uh, under machine gun fire, and he had been hit, and Father Campan, you know, heard about him and just took off because there weren't any litter carriers around and um, made it back to safety. Uh, somehow he wasn't hit. At one point, you know, he always had a pipe that he would smoke, and at one point his pipe actually got shot out of his mouth uh, by a sniper, and so it was a very close call, but he said, you know, I think someone's looking out for me up there, and he wrote several letters back home, uh, and he said, I think it's you know the prayers of those who are back home that have helped me escape, and he said, God must have a plan for us because we're still here, and uh, it was obvious that God did have a did have a plan for him later on in the prison camp to to keep the men alive, to give them hope. I'm going to tell our listeners again, uh, if you have any comments or questions for Scott Carter about Father Capon, our phone number is 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. So he spent a lot of time there in Korea. I think think I've actually heard uh, a sermon that Father Capon gave on Armed Forces Radio when he was stationed in Japan, but it's... I couldn't find that when I was trying to prepare for today. So you can maybe even yeah. find that. Yeah, that is, um, he he gave it like, I think in April of 1950, so just two months before he was over in Korea, and it's on the Beatitudes, and it's the only audio we have, and it's about blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the persecuted. And it's just, it's kind of crazy foreshadowing how that's what survived. You know, he's had the peace that he had about him, on the battlefield and in the prison camp. Um, I mean, other men said, I mean, just hell was going on, right? The chaos of battle. But when he showed up, he just brought this sense of peace that brought calm to everybody. And they said, you know, it was his inspiration that helped us to stay and fight. It was his, you know, dedication that, I mean, saved so many souls. Um, But yeah, those are, they're on our website. They're probably kind of buried. There's a resources category, but I think you can find them there. It's under Beatitude Radio address. It's pretty pretty cool to hear his voice. What's that website again, Scott? Just just it, Yeah, it's fathercapon.org. So F R K A P A U N dot org. Okay, and uh I don't know where Or you can just Google Father Capon Guild. Yeah. That works too. And uh so let's talk a little bit about uh when he was in the battlefield, uh, so in the war was going fairly well for the Americans until the Chinese entered the war, and they really got quite a ways into North Korea until the Chinese entered the war, and then something happened, didn't it? Yeah. So Father Capon and the First Cavalry Division, they were the uh, uh, the Eighth Regiment of the First Cav, were kind of the, the tip of the arrow heading north. Uh, MacArthur said. We're going to end this, and we're just going to march all the way north to the Yalu River, which is the border with China. And so they were up there with another ROK division, the the South Korean Army. And, um, you know, there there were some signs that the Chinese were going to enter, but most of the commanding officers thought that it was just a tiny kind of force that was just scouting. Uh, It turns out, I mean, it was was multiple divisions, um, uh, at least... 
probably twenty to 30,000 men at first, and then, you know, they just kept pouring in. I mean, 100,000, 200,000 men. And so, um, basically, the United States, all the soldiers were told the war is almost over, you'll be home by Christmas. And on uh, November 1st, Father Capon and the men were stationed around the small town of Unsan, North Korea, which was uh, pretty close to the, the border with China. And uh, he celebrated three masses, one for each of the battalions, and they kind of hunkered down for the night. Uh, and then that night, all hell broke loose, and uh, the battalion or the the regiment was ordered to uh, retreat. And the battalion that Father Campana was with, the third battalion, was covering the retreat. And so initially, you know, there's probably you know, anywhere 3,000 men on the U.S. side with, you know, good weapons and everything versus probably ten to 20,000 Chinese. But then, you know, the other two battalions retreated and has left about 800 men in the 3rd Battalion. So they're outnumbered 10, 20 to 1. And they said they just kept coming like ants. And uh, during the battle, obviously, you know, a lot of the men were wounded. And Father Capon risked his life to go out and, you know, give them anointing of the sick, the last rites, to bring them communion and to pray with them. And then he would drag men back as well, the wounded back. And it's estimated anywhere between, you know, 40 to 40 guys that maybe he dragged back to safety uh, to this dugout. And uh, eventually, you know, they're surrounded and they survive the night. But the next evening, the Chinese attacked again. And uh, some of them started throwing grenades down into the the dugout, but he noticed that there was this Chinese officer there, and he talked to the Chinese officer who knew some English and got him to surrender them, and so he he saved their lives. Um, most of the men that the third battalion was was wiped out uh, as a fighting force, and they couldn't fight for another month at least uh, before they got reinforcements. But I think 200 of them made it out alive. Uh, about 300 were killed and 300 captured uh, at the battle. So it was a, it was a terrible battle. Um, but Father Capon was awarded the Medal of Honor in 2013 for his, his actions at the battle just um, because he just went about, you know, above and beyond the call of duty at the risk of his own life to, to save the men, to serve the men, uh, to keep them fighting. And they said, you know, here's a guy without a gun who's, you know, risking his life uh, going out in no man's land to to drag people back and just inspiring that the men who were with him wouldn't give up, you know, on the Medal of Honor until he got it. <laughs> it took him a long time, but he got it. Had, it took 60 years for him to get the Medal of Honor, yeah. didn't it? And yeah. that, that was in 19, uh, 2013 when he got that. Tell us a yep. little bit, Scott, about the – after they surrendered, there was a – what, a, like a 40-mile death march that they went that they were put on? Yeah, so the men, they – they were uh, they were captured. They they stayed there for a few days, but the the weather was really turning cold, and it started to snow on them. Uh, and most of the most of them just had their summer uniforms. They hadn't been issued the the winter uniforms yet, and so they were marched under cover of darkness because they didn't want the the Chinese didn't want the UN planes to notice them. Uh, marched north to the Yalu River, uh, where they had a, a town that they were using as a prison camp. And uh, along the way, you know, Father Capon insisted that the men carry each other because he realized very quickly that the, the Chinese and North Koreans didn't really care about them, and they'd be just as happy if they had one less mouth to feed. And so they would either leave them by the side of the road 
to freeze, or if they fell behind, they would sometimes shoot shoot the men outright. And so, uh, you know, he insisted on the on the camp on the, on the march that they help carry each other. And at one point, uh, very early on, he he recognized uh, that the sergeant who had been wounded in the leg was about to be shot by a North Korean. And he he walked over and shoved the the rifle aside and picked him up as it was Herbert Miller and. And he carried him and said, hey, come on, let's go. And Herbert Miller was like, they're going to shoot you. And he said, well, if I leave you behind, they're going to shoot you. So um, here we go. And um, so he really inspired men to to start looking after each other, you know, even there uh, on the march north to the prison camp. Um, and when they got to the prison camp, obviously, he, he had to do the same. The, the camp, they actually stayed in two different camps. One was a valley with a little town in it. Uh, the other was a, a town along the Yalu River, and you know they just kind of repurposed uh, North Korean civilian huts, and they were uh, didn't have very good heating, didn't have very good walls. Uh, the floors were pretty bare, either concrete or dirt, and they had lice uh, all over them. But the winter was really, uh, really bad. Negative 30, negative 40 degrees uh, before wind chill. Uh, it was the coldest winter that they had had on record, and so it was just a, a recipe for disaster. Uh, the men, you know, again, weren't didn't have winter uniforms, so they didn't have very much clothing. And uh, thankfully, they said that you know one of the issues that they dealt with with the heat is at least that when they slept together, they were so tight, they were packed in so close that it actually helped keep them alive. But mm-hmm. some of the men, you know, did you know freeze to death. Um, the conditions were really bad. It's some of the worst conditions that we've had, I think, for prisoners of war uh, in any of the wars. Uh, something like half of the men that were there that first winter died um, because of the disease, because of the lice that would you know suck little bits of blood from them, um, because of the, the cold and because of the lack of food. I think they had about 400 grams of either millet or cracked corn that they were able to eat each day, but you know, if it wasn't cooked very well, it it kind of went through them. And yeah, they had a lot of dysentery too, didn't they? They did, yeah. And so it's just awful to to think about. But the men would often have to get up in the middle of the night and try and make it outside to the the trains, and that wouldn't always happen. And one of the most remarkable things I think that Father Capon would do is, you know, when he was serving the men, that he would take their dirty clothes that had been soiled by dysentery and he would go down to the river and, you know, break through the ice and, and wash their clothes off, uh, so that they could have clean clothes and some dignity, you know? Mm-hmm. And he just, a lot of the guys said, you know, his whole being was a charitable work and everything he did just gave us hope. And I think that's something that's, you know, so remarkable to me is just that he made sure that the men that he served wouldn't give up. You know, he said that, you know, your country hasn't forgotten you, your families haven't got forgotten you, and that God is with us in this. You know, he's experienced all of this. But he would he would give them hope, you know, both by his words and his prayers with them, but also by doing those little acts of serving the whole the whole and person. He know? also considered himself a Saint Dismas, didn't he? Yeah. So he he uh he looked around and just saw the need and said, Hey, we're starving to death and I'm going to go see what I can do about it. <laughs> so he would raid the, sometimes the, the fields. Uh, sometimes they would come up with clever plots to 
uh, raid the food storage uh, in the prison camp. And uh, he would also, yeah, the medical supplies, sometimes he would sneak in and uh, figure out what the doctors would use to, you know, which medicine. It was all in Chinese, so he couldn't read it, but he'd figure out what they would use for for certain ailments, and then he would sneak in at some point and try and steal some of that to give to the doctors who were, the, the American doctors who had been captured as well. And, and I, he would pray to St. Dismas, the good thief, and they said he was the best thief we had. <laughs> and as I recall, too, one of the more interesting things I heard or read was that he found a piece of tin roof and somehow hammered it into a pot to boil water so that they could have some clean water to drink and some other things. Uh, so he, he, there was nothing beneath him. Oh, no. He was, yeah, he was willing to do anything and everything, including digging the, digging latrines, you know, doing burial duty. Uh, he would do it all. And he, he, as I understand, too, uh, Father Capon uh, stood up to the person in charge of the re-education program that the communist Chinese had, that he uh, did it uh, in, uh, rather politely, I guess, is the word that I'm going to yeah, use. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the men had to suffer through you know, just terrible hours on end of communist propaganda, and a lot of the guys were like, I just, you know, didn't have a lot of education and everything. Well, obviously, Father Capon, he had uh, years of education and so, and philosophy and history and all of that. And so uh, the the Chinese would, you know, like to mock them saying, oh, well, where's your God? If your God was here, you'd, you wouldn't have been captured or, you know, things would be so much better. You wouldn't be hungry. And, you know, he would just, he'd either just stand up and, you know, refute them calmly, just very clearly, uh, say like, well, here's where, you know, you guys are wrong. Um, or he would just come up with a, a humorous joke. He was like, <laughs> um, well, God must not be a very good baker if this is yeah. the bread we have, you know, and it kind of put it back on them. But he said, no, I mean, God is with us. He's You can't see him, but he's like the air that you breathe that, you know, you can't see, but you know that it's there because you're breathing, because you're alive. And he said, that's what God is. And he said, you know, with the the communists um, said that, you know, capitalists, it's all about selfishness and, you know, not good to other people. And he said, oh, that's that's funny because where did you learn to speak your English? Wasn't it because of the missionaries that, you know, we sent to serve you? And so, uh, you know, he would just, he would inject a lot of humor to the situations, but he was also very calm about uh, responding. He he didn't get angry too often. I think there there were definitely a few times where he said he kind of was <laughs> yeah. upset or annoyed or with with the situation, with the commandant especially, but, um, you know, he always kind of came back to his senses and said, no, this is still a person we need to love and even a person that we need to forgive, which and, I think was something that blew a lot of the prisoners' minds. And he uh, suffered very uh, tremendous pain and indignity for that, too, didn't he? He did, yeah. And we don't know exactly what, you know, what they did to him to single him out. I think in some ways they're afraid to, uh, you know, lay a finger on him just because uh, they didn't want to cause a riot. But we know they did sometimes beat other prisoners and um, stand them out in the, the cold, you know, without their clothes on and everything. So it's, it's possible that some of that stuff they did to him as well. Um, but a lot of it, I mean, he just, he was giving away a lot of his own food as well. Um, he was just 
not sleeping much because he would sneak around at night to pray with the men to see if there's anything he could do for them. And, uh, you know, he ended up getting sick himself and just uh, suffering a lot, um, you know, with his own illness, which eventually killed him. Well, tell us a little uh, bit about that illness and, and the, the so-called hospital that he eventually went to. And what, what, what was there about the hospital that was unique? Yeah, so he he had a blood clot in his leg, which kind of laid him up, and then he got pneumonia, and I think he had dysentery as well. And uh, he was very sick for a long time, and kind of for a few weeks, really, he wasn't able to feed himself. Uh, one of the other the other guys were taking care of him, and including a, a guy, uh, Lieutenant William Funches from South Carolina, who was a, a Methodist, but he, he gave up his spot along the wall and was spoon-feeding him and just really looking after him, and he started to get better uh, just a little bit, but still was you know, needing help when the, the communist officials came in and they said, we're taking him to the hospital. And all of the men knew instantly what that meant. Uh, there were two hospitals. There was, well, three, I think. Uh, there was you know, the one for the, the Chinese. There was one where they would send people um, to give them some basic help. And then there was what the prisoners called the death house, which is where they would take you ostensibly to give you help, but really just to let you die. And they, it was filthy. Um, you know, rats were in there. Uh, they would bring them food, but a lot of the men were too weak to serve, you know, help themselves. And so they, they wouldn't let another prisoner help you out. And so that's where they knew they were taking Father Capon. And he kind of came to his senses and realized that the men, his brothers, were about to fight for him. And he said, look, guys, you know, I don't want you to get in trouble because of me. He said, it's okay. He said, I'm going where I always wanted to go. And when I get up there, I'll say a prayer for all of you. And so the, the Chinese were about to take him away, and the, the Americans said, no, we want to at least carry him up to the death house. And so four of them, you know, picked him, put him on a stretcher and carried him up to the death house. And he said, they said it was just remarkable on the way he recognized a couple guards and he said, stop. And he would make the sign of the cross over them. And then with the, the commandant, the commander, he, he asked the commander for his forgiveness, uh, if he had done anything to ever harm him. And he said, you know, I also forgive you, um, because you don't know, you know, what you did to us. Uh, to you don't understand what you're doing, you know, just like Jesus with us. And it's something that, you know, what a last, great last witness that here, you know, this commandant had really been not just attacking him, but the men that he loved. And he said, I'm going to choose to forgive because, you know, we, we all need forgiveness. And so they took him up to the death house. They put him in there and, you know, they isolated him, kept him away, and they said after two or three days, you know, it, he passed away. And uh, it was May 23rd, 1951. So it was just kind of getting through the, the roughest part of the year with the winter and everything. And conditions really started to get better for the men. After that, they were fed more food. They were given a little bit better clothing, and the winter wasn't as rough. And so, you know, he he kind of almost made it through, but then you almost wonder if, he had some effect on <laughs> how things went afterwards as well. Tell us, we're, we're running short on time. Tell us a little bit about uh, yeah, the sorry. process. No, that's fine. It's been, been very good. The process uh, toward the uh, trying to have Father Capon declared a saint, and, and in particular talk about the miracle that happened already. 
Yeah, so we uh, he was named a servant of God in 1993, which is kind of the beginning of the process. And the Archdiocese of the military had started it, but I didn't wasn't able to follow through with every all the investigation needed. And so we um, the Diocese of Wichita picked it up uh, mid 2000 uh, mm-hmm. 2000s and uh, did a whole bunch of investigating on his his life and everything. And so we sent like 8,000 pages of documents over to Rome. <laughs> Um, and they're currently working on reviewing those. Uh, so the the next step was he would be named Venerable, which means he lived a, a life of heroic virtue. Um, and so it's kind of our way of saying, like, okay, we think he lived a holy life. The next step, uh, Blessed, uh, requires a miracle. And that's sort of a way of saying, you know, here's supernatural proof that he lived a holy life, that he's with God. It's kind of like God's stamp of approval. Uh, and then another miracle is needed for sainthood. But, yeah, we've actually had several uh, several different miracles. We get all sorts of reports of, you know, my, you know maybe minor favors reported all the way up to the, the absolutely miraculous. And one of the most famous is uh, a young man. He was in uh, junior college, and he was track and field. He was a pole vaulter. And uh, he's from a, a small community very close to where Father Capon's brother, Eugene, lived. And so the family was very familiar with his story, but um, Chase, the the young man, uh, broke his pole. It was early in the year of practice, and it catapulted him up and over the mat, and he ended up smashing his his head into the ground. And, you know, LifeWatch, the helicopter came to take him to the hospital, and um, when they called the family, they said, it's, it's not good. You know, he's, he's not going to live. His brain was swelling. They had to remove part of the, the skull uh, to allow his brain to kind of swell up. Um, but they said, he's not going to live. Um, if he does live, you know, he's going to be a vegetable and, you know, you just need to prepare for that now. And so the family and the community said, no, we believe that the Lord works miracles and we're going to pray through Father Capon. Um, and they did, and the whole community prayed, and they started, it was right when Facebook was kind of getting really big, and so they put the word out on Facebook, and, you know, people from all over the world were starting to pray for him, and uh, it just surprised the doctors. They, you know, first of all, they said he wouldn't live, and then his brain started, you know, deswelling, and they said, well, he's going to be in a coma the rest of his life, and then, you know, the next day, you know, his he moves his hand at the sign of, you know, his mom's voice. And there's just all these little things like that. The doctor said, it, you know, won't happen. Um, and then I said, well, the next step is this, but we don't think that's possible. Literally like the next day he would be doing it. And so I think it took him like, um, something like a month to recover, maybe six weeks when it should have taken, you know, maybe never, but you know, close to a year. Um, but he was going home, you know, with help, but under his own power. And they said, you know, it's just remarkable. It's a miracle. And uh, so this is a you know, neat story that just God is active in our lives. And, you know, Father Capon uh, works as well. <laughs> um, you know, maybe not always. We never know what God's you know, ultimate plans are. But um, it's it's quite remarkable to hear stories that just you don't normally hear about most of the time in the news and everything that, but yeah, God is still at work and he works through the intercession of his saints. And if and Father us. and if Father Capon is declared a martyr, he doesn't need the second miracle, does he? 
the first one actually. There'd still need to be there still need to be another, another one. one. So okay. even after he's beatified, you have to have another one happen. So okay, we'll right. need to keep praying. But I thought the way I look at it, the the rate that he's been going, I think we've got good chances. Okay, now I'd like to switch gears here a little bit because we have about two three minutes left. Uh, tell us a little bit about the two groups that you take care of. One is the Cape and Father Capon Guild, and the other is Capon's Men. Tell us a little bit about those two, and those are available. To, links of those are on that website, fathercapon.org. Yes, correct. Okay, okay. Yeah, so tell so us the about Capon those. Guild kind of helps um, just promote his story, and we've got uh, several volunteers in his hometown of Pilsen, Kansas, which is about an hour fifteen from Wichita. Uh, that do tours, they give church tours, there's a museum up there, they tell his story, and so they kind of work with that. But we just kind of promote his story and his cause for canonization. Uh, Capon's Men uh, is a group that started, uh, kind of a local group that started by men saying, you know, he's an inspiration. Uh, He inspired the men who served under him, but he inspires men today, and we want to band together kind of like his boys and uh, try and emulate his example. And so there's uh, three different video series uh, that you can purchase or you can watch on if you have a subscription to uh, formed.org. Uh, formed? It's on Formed? Okay. It is on Formed, yeah. It's okay. very exciting. We've been on uh, about six months. And um, uh, great material just uh, for our faith life, you know, our faith journey together that you can... Um, take and, you know, have a great discussion about what it means to be, a, you know, a man to live these virtues. And honestly, they're virtues that anybody can, can follow. So, I mean, it's not limited to just men. Um, okay. And my girlfriend's like, I watch it and listen to it. I think it's great, you know. So, uh, And it's a great res- yeah. resource for a, a parish men's group that's forming. Absolutely. Or, or, okay. We've got about 14 seconds left, and then we have to do a summary. So why don't we talk... Tell us a little bit in a summary of, of what you'd like us to take away from this time that we've had together, Scott. Yeah, I think, you know, just um, to always, you know, be looking to, to serve others uh, in the little ways. You know, the little ways matter so much, and that's what made Father Capon so great. You know, he, he inspired hope. He said, God's with us. But, you know, most of what he did, yeah, he had the heroic moments of rescuing people on the battlefield, but a lot of what he did in the prison camp were just the little acts of service. But, you know, he would do them day after day. And, you know, if we do that, we really, um, you know, we're faithful and we give a great witness to those around us and show that we, we care not just about one aspect of their life, but their their whole person. And I think that's what made him who he was. And I thank you so much, uh, Scott. Uh, one, one more time, that website is fathercapon.com. F R K A P dot org. I mean, Father Capon. F R K A P A U N dot org, uh, and you have links to all the resources there. Scott, I thank yeah. you so much for being my. Absolutely, thanks for having me. And um, if you can stick around for just a minute, I'd appreciate it very much. After we go off the air, and so again, remember when choosing between the values of heaven and the de- values of earth, always round up. Since you wake up this dead man walking, shake off rumors and talking, I'm a 